This morning's reading is from Mark chapter 11, and I'll be reading from verse 11 to verse 26. Mark 11, 11 to 26. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple area and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, they went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins." Father, we ask uh, you would uh, be gracious to us this morning and uh, speak to our hearts and minds that we might know a little more of you and your will for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, it's great to be with you and um, I'd love to just uh, put a little underline on that invitation to the Regional Leaders Conference, the New One Regional Leaders Conference. In fact, uh, next Sunday morning, Mothering Sunday, we're celebrating next Sunday evening Uh, Robbie Dawkins is going to be uh, here at St. Paul's. We managed to get him to come here early. Um, He has uh, grown his church through uh, a a ministry where they're living out, being naturally supernatural. They've seen God do the most amazing things. And um, I'd love to encourage you along. Come on the Sunday night. Uh, Of course, you come on the Sunday night. It's free here. But come on the Monday night and the Tuesday night as well to the Leadership Conference if you can't come during the day. It really will be uh, a terrific uh, couple of days. So please do uh, try and come along uh, to that. I'd love to um, uh, think about uh, this passage a little bit this morning. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Mark chapter 11, uh, beginning to read at verse 11. You know where we are, just to set the context. We were thinking a bit about it last week. Uh, This is the... Uh, in the, the chronological order, this is the oh, it went a bit high, didn't it? This is the um, uh, journey into Jerusalem of Holy Week. So, <clears throat> obviously, we haven't quite got there yet. 
uh, uh, this year. We're still working towards it, but we're, we're heading there in our readings. And um, Jesus has entered Jerusalem. And uh, as he's come in, uh, the crowds have gathered. They've ripped branches off trees and thrown them on the ground. They've laid, uh, put their cloaks on the ground. They've laid a carpet, as it were, for him to come in on. And uh, uh, they want to crown him uh, king uh, as he comes in. And he enters Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey, the, the palm branches laid out in front of him, and they cry, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. The procession on that Monday would have involved perhaps tens of thousands of people as they uh, welcomed him in to the city of Jerusalem. And uh, he was the Messiah, the anointed one that they were looking for. And it would have caused a huge stir in the uh, wider community around them. Something was happening. This man who had been teaching with such uh, profound teaching in, in the recent years had changed people's lives, had, had brought the dead back to life, had seen those uh, who were sick healed, had seen those who were excluded included. It's no wonder that the people were uh, excited about him coming in. It's no wonder that they were excited that this man was now entering, as it were, their capital city. Come to the place where many felt there would be a, a showdown. This is the place where it's all going to happen. This is what we've been waiting for. When this man who has been causing such a stir in the villages, such a stir out in the provinces, comes in and challenges ultimately the authority that is here. And uh, uh, this is surely where everything is going to change. And it says that on that Monday, the celebration ended at at the temple. And um, he says this, uh, so Jesus, verse 11, so Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon and he returned to Bethany with uh, the 12. So Jesus has had this incredible procession into Jerusalem. He enters into Jerusalem, goes straight to the temple, has a look, sees what's going on, leaves the town and retires that night to Bethany to spend the night with his friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus and the disciples who were with him. Uh, It was quite a day really and um, uh, he had seen all that was going on. They reckoned that at Passover time there would be as many as two million Jews who would have been in and around Jerusalem. Everywhere was busy and there was a real sense of excitement. This particular year a real sense of excitement. They, they were anticipating a Passover like they had never experienced it before. Remember, whenever Jesus went anywhere, crowds followed him. So as he, would have, as he would have got nearer and nearer to Jerusalem, those crowds would have gathered uh, even greater. There'd have been many coming to see uh, what was going to happen when he challenged the authorities. This person who had changed so many people's lives. So then he comes back to Jerusalem. He leaves Bethany, comes back to Jerusalem on uh, the Tuesday morning, which is where we are. And and, and when he comes back in, he enters the temple and he begins turning over the tables of those who are selling uh, different things in the temple. 
And um, uh, it says, when they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He says, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a den of robbers. What a stir he'd have caused. These people have been doing this for years. They've been selling the, the sacrifices. People had to come uh, and offer their sacrifices. Um, uh, those of you who are reading the Bible in the year again, you'll know we got to the end of Leviticus this morning, but over the last uh, few weeks you'll have been reading those stories of those different sacrifices that were required by God. Here's, here's the people coming in offering these sacrifices. Uh, they'd have come in if they couldn't afford particular uh, doves or, or other things. They'd have uh, bought cheaper sacrifices, but they'd have brought in and brought their sacrifices. And when they come in, here's the people in the temple courts. They are shouting sacrifices for sale. Uh, you, you can come here and you can buy the different sacrifices that you want. Um, and, uh, and no one had actually challenged them before. They may be a little pricey, but at least they were there, and they were there with the permission of the priests. Why? Probably because the temple was skimming off the top. Probably because the priests were skimming off the top. Certainly there was their own um, uh, coinage they used in there, so they had to first change their money. So there was an exchange rate that went on. When they changed their money, they then had to take the temple money and buy their sacrifices, and they couldn't spend it anywhere else, so they, they were then again spending more than they needed to there. And what we have a picture of here is injustice. What we have a picture of here is hypocrisy. People doing what they shouldn't have been doing. People were told to bring their offerings and in so doing, they were being uh, abused in their uh, offering. I want to pause at that for a moment. Because, you know, the thing that God talks about so much in the Bible is the need to do things right for the poor and the outcast. It's to do, is to love justice and serve humbly and love mercy. It's to be people who seek to do the right thing. That's why I think, uh, I, I mean, I, 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 I've just been reading a book called Waste. I can't tell you who the author is. Can you tell me who the author is, darling? No, okay. I normally rely on you for that sort of thing. But I'm reading a book called Waste. Um, it's, it's, it's quite, I was, I was quite, I got to the, I got about three quarters of the way through the book and I was thinking, gosh, this is quite a difficult book to read. And then I got three quarters of the way through and it ended. The rest of it were references. I just thought that's such a marvelous to get the end at that point when you're not expecting to get the end. I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, I finished. But there's a, the, the thing about it is it talks about the amount of waste we have. So, so um, uh, uh, this guy who's written the book, uh, it's a penguin book. This guy who's written the book uh, took some pictures um, of uh, food that he'd taken out of the bins at the back of shops that have reached their sell-by date. One local small shop in a local village, over 450 pounds worth of food in its plastic packaging. 
He talks about the colossal waste that there is. About 50% of the food that we produce and bring in in this country is wasted. Uh, and of course, he talks about America as well, and it's much the same in America uh, and probably much the same all over Europe. And he talks about the level of waste that we have. Fair trade fortnight <laughs> talks about our need to buy the right things and pay the right price. And fair trade might be a little bit more expensive, but what if we bought fair trade but bought a little less and therefore tried not to waste? If we just, if we just paid a little more that the people who were producing it would get the right money for what they're producing. I, I mean, just having been in Uganda a couple of weeks ago, talking to some of the producers there who get um, uh, the vans come by and pick up their cassava and their oranges and their uh, rice and their cotton and other things. And, and they come in and, and, and some of them say, you know, we will sell our, 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 our harvest and sometimes what we get for our harvest is less than what it has cost us to plant it, tend it, and harvest it. So we're getting back less than it's cost us. So, so some of these farmers are, are pouring themselves out throughout the year and then their return is less. And of course, what they've got to do with that return is they've then got to buy more of the seeds, more of the crops to plant for the next harvest. And the spiral goes down. And actually, fair trade changes that because it says we, w we will ensure you get a fair amount for your harvest. You're paid for what you get. And, 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 and the, the product at the end of the day means that we'll pay the right price for it. Of course, there's lots of bits in the middle, and I know it's not quite as simple as that. But, but actually, if we took less, it's justice, actually. It's justice. It's kingdom living. It, it, it means that we live the kingdom of God even when we go to the local supermarket. We live the kingdom of God. We live kingdom lives when we, when we buy food for our own homes. We're thinking all the time, kingdom. Kingdom, whatever I do, I'm going to ensure that I'm not ripping others off. Whatever I do, I'm going to ensure I've not got children in slavery producing this for me. Whatever I do, I'm going to check. I, I, I recently was uh, talking about one particular shop, unsure of it. So I uh, texted my friend Julia Sarson and said, Am I allowed to shop in this shop? Tell me, because she knows more than I do. And she texted back and said, yes, you can. It's all right, and gave me the details of it. I thought, I deleted it after, I'll just go shop. But as long as I got her permission, I feel all right. But there's a, you know, there's a, there's a sense that we've got to make sure we're paying the right price for the right things so that we're not doing harm to justice. Justice, that's what it's about. Um, uh, you'll know this reading from... Um, uh, Isaiah 58 says, This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Remove the yo heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Uh, you know well the, the, the passage from uh, Micah. This is, what, this is what God requires of us. This is, this is the life he asks us to live. It says this. No, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. This is what he requires of you. 
to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before your God. Why do I say that? Because here, Jesus comes in the temple and he sees exactly the opposite. He sees people being charged, injustice going on, in the very house of God. He says, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't how we should be living. But Jesus goes to the temple. Uh, the people uh, had hoped, um, of course, that he, being the Messiah, would have, uh, have gone to the fort where the Roman army were garrisoned, or they might have expected him to attack the house of Pilate. They might have thought, after all his teaching, he would have come in and, and challenged the authorities, but he doesn't. He comes into the temple. I find that extraordinary. He comes in not to uh, attack any idolatrous occupying Romans. He attacks the temple, a heart of Judaism. He attacks the soul of the nation, the most respected and most elevated. He attacks the, the most trusted people in the land, those who ostensibly represented God. And he attacks the corrupt things in Jerusalem. He attacks the injustice in the temple. He attacks the the unrighteous way that the believers in God were living. Why? Why? Because he saw that they were using their power for the wrong things. They were living hypocritical lives. They weren't standing up for the poor and the needy. They were taking advantage of those who were coming to the temple. He comes in and attacks those that thought that he would be um, uh, their answer, their Messiah. And he does this, I think, because he realizes that the people and the leaders misunderstood his mission. I just want to pick up on two very quick things. The people were looking for a Messiah. They had this promise of salvation to them. Um, someone was going to come and redeem them, pick them up, save them, renew them, offer them resurrection, get them out of their current way of living and give them a new lifestyle to live in. They were no longer going to live under the authority of the Roman uh, occup occupation. They were going to be free people to, to live as they believed they should live and worship the God that they were called to worship. They were, able to, they, they, were, they were looking for a Messiah who would enable them to manage their own affairs so that they can support one another in the way that they felt they should because of their beliefs. They'd be free to be the people of God again. They were looking for a Messiah. They thought that this Jesus was going to come and free them from earthly oppressors. They looked for him to overthrow the authorities and restore a nation. They looked for him to answer their immediate needs. But Jesus said, you misunderstand the problem. You see, because the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. That's where the problem is. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And Jesus saw that. And he was saying to the people, this, this isn't about Roman uh, occupiers. This isn't about what's going on. This is about what's going on in your heart. Look, even in the, in, in, 
in your current living, in this place where you have freedom, so much freedom, look, even here you're abusing other people. Even here you're living lives of injustice. Even here you're not doing the righteous thing. Even here you're not doing what I've called you to do. And he says it's about a heart change. It's about our hearts being changed to ensure that we have hearts that, that seek to worship our Lord and God. He doesn't want to just redeem the lives of the few who were there at the time. He wants to redeem the lives of everybody. To free them from Roman occupation, he could have done that. But what would that have done for all time? Not a lot. But he says, actually, the occupation I want to free you from is the occupation of your own heart. Who's occupying your heart? Where are your main motivations? What do you stand for? What do you live for? What do you hope for? What do you dream for? What do you pray for? What is it, what is it in your heart that you really want to see uh, happen? And Jesus focused totally on their spiritual inner lives. He was concerned about true worship. Who do we live our lives for? That's what he came to ask the question of. Who do we live our lives for? Who do you live your life for? He says, if you live your life, if you live your life for God, you'll live your life in the way that he calls us to live it. You'll live a life of justice. You'll live a life of mercy. You'll live a life where you'll care for, for the, the homeless and the hungry. You'll live a life where you'll reach out to others. I was really privileged this week to be uh, invited to uh, go and participate in a small team to uh, serve breakfast at the night shelter. And... Um, it was just a lovely experience, actually, talking to some of these guys. And I sat down uh, at breakfast with them, and we talked to one bloke. And I said, so now tell me, what does today hold for you? This is at about, I don't know, 7 o'clock in the morning. What does today hold for you? He said, well, when you close here, I'll walk from here to Acton, where the night shelter is going to be tonight, and I'll wait for it to open at 6 o'clock. That was his whole day. Moving from one to the next. Nothing else to do. His whole day. And I said, well, isn't there anything else you'll do throughout the day? Isn't there anybody else you'll see? Isn't it? No, no, no. This is... God calls us to care for them. To look after them. To feed them. What's going on through the night shelter is a terrific thing. And, and uh, it's lovely that so many from this church are involved in it. Many of you, I'm sure, have been there and served breakfast and slept the night there and done other things with them. And... It's just humbling to go and be reminded again. You know, God says this is what we're to do. This is what we're about. The guy, one of the guy, young guys going off, night, off the night duty, he'd stayed there the night. He was all of about um, 21, I think. I could have got that wrong. He could have been 18. I don't know. He didn't look very old at all. And I thought, gosh, you've been here overnight looking after this. I said, what, does, what are you doing today? He said, well, I'll go home, have a shower and go to work. I've sat up all night with this lot. He didn't say that, I thought. That's what he'd done. I said, that's fantastic. He said, well, that's, that's what we should do, isn't it? Aren't you a vicar? You should know that sort of thing. Oh, no. Okay. Thank you for the lesson. But it, that, that's, that's what we're called to do. And, and Jesus says here, Jesus says here to those who are who are in the temple, he says, look, you're interested in, these, in, in ripping people off with these sacrifices and doing other things. It's not about this, it's about your heart. 
It's about your heart. Where's your heart? Is your heart for the Lord? It, does your, do you love the Lord? And do you therefore want to live your life for God in everything you do? You know, in his conversation with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, Jesus says this, God seeks true worshippers who worship him in spirit and in truth. You know, our whole life is about worship. Your work is worship. When you go to work, that's worship. Whether you teach, whether you nurse, whether you deliver packages, whether you drill teeth, whatever you do, it's about worship. It's about what this is. This is your act of worship to God, looking after other people, serving other people. Your schoolwork, if you're at school, is worship. Your college work is worship. Your university studies are worship. Your staying at home is worship. It's an act of worship to God. We're aware that we constantly live in a spiritual realm the whole time, concerned not just with the earthly things around us, not just free us from what we have here, but rather. Let us bring something of the kingdom of God here into this situation. The people misunderstood his mission. But the leaders also misunderstood it. It says, uh, it says um, uh, in the passage, the leaders could think of nothing to do because all the people hung on every word he, he had, every word he said. They were hungry for salvation. The, the, the thing is this, I believe this with all my heart. I believe it with all my heart. And some of you might think, well, you would believe it because you're a vicar, therefore you're paid to believe it. But the reason I'm a vicar is because I believed it before I was a vicar. I'm a vicar because I want to tell other people about it. I believe with all my heart that actually Jesus is the answer. He is the answer. But whatever you're looking for in life, honestly, he is the answer. The old Sunday school joke, isn't it? When the Sunday school teacher says, you know, what is gray and furry and has a big bushy tail? And the little boy says, well, it sounds like a squirrel, but I guess it's Jesus. It's Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. That's the answer. With all our hearts, it's not about getting rid of Roman occupation. It's not, it's not, about, it's not about the major issues that, that might be confronting you at the moment. You know, truly... Seek him first and the kingdom of God will be added unto you. Seek God first. It's all about Christ. If we seek him first, everything changes. It, it, honestly, if we seek God, that's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He said it's about seeking God. If we seek God, our lives get sorted out in the right way. They were hungry for salvation. Because they were hungry for something deep within their hearts. And I think there is something deep within our, each of our hearts that cries out to a God. And it is only with him and through him that we find that ultimate salvation. That we find that ultimate peace that we look for. It is only in him and through him. Um, Paul, Paul says it, doesn't he, in, in um, Philippians. I'm trying to find Philippians. Here it is. Paul says it in Philippians. He says this. Um, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned about me, but you didn't have a chance to help me now that I was, not that I was ever in need. For I've learned to be content. Whatever I have, I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ 
who gives me strength. I found the secret of whatever's going on in my life. I found the secret. It's Christ. It's found in Jesus. Truly that is the answer. Truly the answer is Jesus Christ in everything and through everything. And he comes in saying, if you find the answer in me, you'll live a life that reflects me. And a life that reflects me is a life of justice. And, 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 and the people misunderstood him, but also the leaders misunderstood him. And I, I come into land with this. The leaders thought he'd come to undermine him, undermine them and, and disempower them and, and take over from them. Nothing could have been further from the truth. And no one, no one who said yes to Jesus was rejected. He, Nicodemus responded I think there were lots of other Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders that responded and I think they were probably welcomed into the kingdom because that's the way in which Jesus works and, 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 and those who, who were against him were protecting their this is my way this is how I should do it I said last week I said last week the two um, uh, most uh, used uh, songs at funeral services at the crematorium one is I did it my way, which is great. And the other is imagine there is no heaven. That's the other one. I, whenever I take one of those, I think this is such a depressing service. <laughs> you know, I did it my way. In other words, I didn't take account of God at all. And then they sing John Lennon. Imagine there's no heaven. That's marvelous. Well, I, I, you know, that doesn't give a lot of hope. I think, well, I know there is a heaven. And I know there is a God. And he is my hope and my life. And, and for all those leaders, they misunderstood. They thought he'd come to trick them and undermine them and do things with them. He hadn't come to do that. He'd come to say to them, here is salvation for you. Here's the way of life for you. Here's the hope for you. Here's what you ultimately will be looking for. They misunderstood his mission as the people misunderstood it. And they were just concerned, These some of those in the temple, not all of them, but some of them were concerned and They'd have been skimming funds off the top and lining their own pockets and feathering their own nests and whatever description you want to give it. And Jesus says, do you know it's not about that? He says, don't worry so much what you have here. Worry what you have stored in heaven. Worry about your treasures in the heavenly places because that's ultimately what counts. And you know, one day, one day, I hope it's not very soon, but one day, I'll go and meet my Lord. And I am confident, really confident, that he will say, hey Mark, well done. Good and faithful servant. Because you told others about me and you lived your life for me. And my prayer, my prayer, the prayer of, deepest prayer of my heart is that everybody who attends this church will know the Lord in that way. That one day, You'll meet the Lord Jesus and he'll say, Hey, I know you, Margaret. I know you, Jane. I know you, Peter. I know you, John. Well done, good and faithful servant, for you lived a life of worship to me. You weren't so concerned about the things on earth, but you were concerned about bringing as many others into the kingdom of heaven as you possibly could.